You're listening to Policy Room by SPRF. Hi, hello, welcome everybody to another episode of the Policy Room podcast series by SPRF. Today we have with us a very special guest and my good friend, Yash Agarwal. Um, Yash is a public policy coordinator at Twitter and we are sort of just having a discussion on some very interesting topics surrounding the digitalization of India that is underway. Welcome, Yash. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me and it's my great pleasure to be here on the show. Thank you. So, Yash, do you want to go a little bit into, you know, what you sort of do at Twitter? Yeah, sure. So, currently I work as a public policy fellow at Twitter India, technically designated as a policy coordinator. So, it's honestly just the basic work that a lot of the policy teams in general do in organizations like these, which is working with civil society, with the government and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, that's broadly the role. Mm-hmm. And I've been here for what I think still fresh in the in the role. To be honest, it's just been two two and a half months now. But yeah, I love every moment of it. There's just so much to learn and do. I'm sure. I'm sure that must be very exciting. I have to ask you something because I'm not sure if this is information that I know. But are you the yeah. youngest Indian employee at Twitter? I will still have to like cross check that. Okay. I'm not sure, but okay. yes, I'm among the younger ones on the team yeah. for sure. Yeah. Awesome. In our old normal, we would have been um, recording this together in Delhi. But Yash and I are at the moment yeah. remotely working from our hometowns. But good to speak with you anyway. And I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this. So just before we jump into the interview, I just have to. I just have to ask. You don't have any control over the verification process at Twitter, do you? See, see, now this is the million dollar question. <laughs> I have a feeling people will drop out of this podcast <laughs> after this. But, but yes, just to answer, uh, no, we just have systems in place, uh, right. which, you know, it's not something that one individual can influence or get going. Yeah. So, yeah good, no. good answer. I'm, I'm sure Twitter is very happy. Right. Um, Apart from that, you're also one fourth of the team that runs Policygram on Instagram. It's an independent information platform that sort of breaks down policy for the younger generation that's on Instagram. So I think um, you're the perfect guest to have today when we talk about sort of India's digital future, the policies that can guide us into this and just the digital literacy overall. So, I mean, I'll just begin with what we're sort of seeing around us right now, like social media in general has taken such a big step during the whole pandemic as it unravels. So many people are on Twitter, on Instagram, sharing information, looking for leads. A lot of journalists are using these platforms to bring forward what's happening on ground instead of all the bureaucratic barriers that they have to be in otherwise. Um, But also there's, you know, because of the amount of information overload on these websites and I mean, on these platforms and so much information that's coming from different parties. There's also been a lot of concern about information that might be fake, information that is being propagated from uh, long back being said that it's today. And also, in general, a lot of people are saying that these platforms are the ones that need to be responsible for uh, clearing the clutter and for ensuring that the wrong accounts don't get banned and the right ones that are sort of taking part in this fake news situation get shut down so how do you think platforms can sort of step in instead of just being like this you know third party um 
how can platforms ensure that this is a safe space for uh, information dissemination? You know, Michelle, I would just like to step back a little. Mm -hmm. And as abstract as this may sound, but these two questions are often jointed here, which is the role the, that these platforms play in a democracy and in a society. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important for us to maybe just consider that okay. for a moment. And then we, we'll, I'm not evading the question, we'll definitely get into this. Okay. But just to give a larger picture, you know, and this also stems deeply from my interest in tech policy in general. See, there are three broader trends that platforms like these, which have accelerated and enabled, I would say first is, you know, something like a Twitter or a Facebook or any such social media platform in general. What they have done is even the most disempowered and underprivileged of citizens, mm -hmm. they have a shot at making their voices and opinions heard, right? Yeah. In the, in this broader public discourse. Yeah. I mean, there is this chunk of population, which is, let's just say, traditionally excluded or not considered by, say, usual news outlets or any other social media in that sense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And social media platforms, just, they traditionally mitigate such a possibility. Mm -hmm. Anyone can build an account and they have this platform where they can speak, they can, you know, get the voice heard, yeah. broadly speaking. Yeah. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, now, a lot of times what happens is, what is, let's just say, hot on these platforms, what's being discussed on social media, this is something that uh, news media starts picking up. I'll tell you, it's a very interesting thing. Like a couple of days back, uh, I had just come back from a run and, you know, my dad was watching news television and there are these shows which, which uh, show something like the top 10 headlines of the day. Mm -hmm. And so many of those headlines were, this person has tweeted this and this has happened, or this person has posted this and this has happened. They're essentially just, you know, producing what's already news that has been made already. Right. And I, I was stunned, I was stunned that to the extent that the dynamics have changed. So that's mm -hmm. one thing that mm -hmm. citizens, even the most disempowered and underprivileged of them, they have the shot at making their voices heard. Second is, they ensure, they can ensure at least a lot in theory that those who are in power, they remain connected with their constituents and they receive direct feedback every day. Like today, I mean, you must have seen this a lot, uh, especially on Twitter and maybe to an extent on Facebook, that people directly tag their MPs or their offices yeah. that this isn't getting done. A lot of people tag the railway ministry account that, hey, this is dirty or this isn't running on time, etc. Et like uh, right now, I recently came across someone who tagged, I think, uh, an account of the Ministry of Finance or I think the Customs Department that there was a lot of GST or customs duty on ventilators which were being imported in India or being donated to mitigate the COVID-19 crisis mm -hmm. and that that shouldn't be the case and someone uh, from the government had replied that hey we are waving this off and then the finance minister replied I think. So broadly the point is you know they play a, a very strong role in ensuring that even those who are in power in office they get direct feedback and they're connected right. to their constituents and beyond. Right. So this is again something new right uh, because this is feedback which is unfiltered which is coming directly from those who vote and who are affected by the decisions being taken by those in office, right? Yeah. Very powerful. And finally, before I'll get to what you asked, and this is something I you know, strongly resonate with as an individual is that, you know, social media companies, platforms, they significantly also improve how democracy works for millions. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, you know, the sheer variety of news, perspectives, viewpoints that an individual readily has access to in real yeah. time yeah. that contributes for making a citizen which is more informed, which is more engaged, which is more equipped with the knowledge to take nuanced decisions concerning their governments, when they are forming their viewpoints, and so on and so forth. And moreover, you know, these citizens 
who come across news end up discussing the scene as well on these very platforms they get exposed to new viewpoints and this has potentially profound implications for civic engagement so i feel a very important core tenet of what platforms like these enable which is they just significantly improve democratic participation in that sense right broadly speaking and it's it's almost like the public sphere as we know of it earlier you know i'll just use this term in hindi like gaon mein chauraha hota tha basically this large open space when people would maybe just gather or whatever you know the panchayat would meet i'm just using a very baseline example right, but right. public sphere in any sense right uh, they are being reimagined it's here and now so broadly speaking this is how i look at the roles the social media platforms play and now i'll come to the specific question that you asked because i feel this was important to give this background mm-hmm. okay this is the thorniest issue of them all which is yeah to do with free speech which is to do with censorship which is to do with disinformation and all of it like the entire holy grail of it now there are couple of things and i'll be very candid uh number one right now what's happening is and again this is not about one particular company because or any particular individual because yeah. the approaches are fairly similar and Across of platforms. course there are nuances and differences right. yeah but like the fundamentals are that you deploy both you deploy human beings and you deploy algorithms or mm-hmm. technology mm-hmm. to just you know figure out what content violates your, the rules of the platform and uh, what needs to be taken down or maybe you review if a user has submitted a particular request so mm-hmm. on and so forth right now the problem is to do this at scale you have to steadily shift to more and more of technology because it is absolutely impossible right practically speaking to have enough human moderators to sit and decide on each of these cases right yeah. i mean again i'm sorry i don't have the numbers at my fingertips but like literally billions of pieces of content go up every few minutes or hours or so so it's, it's just impossible right. given right. the scale right. at which it's it's happening now what happens is when you employ more machines and again this is all out in the open very basic understanding that whenever you are applying machines and algorithms to sift through this data for them to go through what's on the platform and to figure out that hey does it need to be there or maybe flag it to a human moderator for review there will be nuances that the algorithm will miss out on yeah. there will be context that the algorithm won't be able to figure out right there are certain words or terms which are maybe used as a slang in a particular context and they may be perfectly fine in another right uh, and even the same terms in the same language they used in different ways given the context of the conversation yeah right yeah so it's it's not possible for the algorithms of for the machine to always get it right and so sometimes i mean there will be errors it will be hit and miss here and there and the problem is this i'll tell you and there's something i was reading about recently again not about any particular company or individual but even if you know platforms get to say a 99% accuracy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. the thing is the journey from a 0 to 90 was easy from a 90 to 19 divine was difficult took a lot of enforcement policy mm-hmm. changes algorithmic improvements but still doable now the problem is now to get from a 99 to even a 99.5 it's getting there but that last percentage in which you want to ensure there's no error at all i think that's going to take some doing right, right. because right. even given the sheer base that we're looking at right yeah. with billions of pieces of content even that 0.5% it actually uh, leads to a hue and cry of all manner that either something was taken down which was supposed to be there or something which was not supposed to be there was not taken down it can be in either ways 
but the point is that people won't notice that the other 99.5% of harmful speech has been taken down or the platforms are far healthier or cleaner whatever that may be yeah but of course given the sheer scale of the platform uh, and the content that they're dealing with even the 0.1 0.5% of course comes up high in terms of visibility and i'm not saying that's not an issue at all that is absolutely an issue but i'm just trying to explain the trade offs right, involved right, right. the scale that we're looking at and uh, why it's just so difficult to get to a zero so to speak yeah and yeah. probably require you know quite a bit of human touch to sort of because language is constantly evolving the the way we interact online is changing so fast that i'm sure the algorithm also takes a while to pick up and learn so i guess it's kind of comforting to hear that computers can't 100% take on what humans can do just yet um absolutely michel i'll i'll just add one thing here uh, yeah. because this reminds me of something very interesting i was reading today itself emojis okay mm. now and i can share this article with you later but there are certain emojis which are used very differently across societies and which come to mean very different things in different contexts and mm, yes. there's i mean there are some which there's some emojis which may depict harm but in other societies they may just be a one off expression of discomfort right. or maybe someone being upset at someone i mean there's so many nuances emojis are used so differently yeah. even within the same countries and then there are new emojis which always keep coming up there are some uh, which maybe go out of fashion or whatever so the point is even if you keep retraining the algorithm there's just no end to it yeah exactly and you have to do it for every single country and maybe multiple times within the same i mean again try to draw i'm just trying to draw a picture of the sheer scale and complexity right. of the issue project here. got it yeah no yeah. that makes a lot of sense and i love how in your answer the way you structured it sort of you know it was like glimpses of the questions that i do want to go into so i'm going to slowly kind of go into every bit so one of the things you mentioned was how social media is sort of like that banyan tree where all the people would sort of get together and discuss things and talk about and it sort of turned into that um uh, arena and and while you're right it's just that there is a very small chunk of our population that's actually on twitter right and as somebody that right you know like you and i we're we're urban population we're young people we're the very, the people that just you know are getting into the workforce and have a strong um what do i want to say like the rising sense of civic duty so we're constantly right. on twitter and a lot of our information and a lot of our outreach efforts to our representatives is happening on twitter but this is not necessarily true for the massive chunk of the indian population so i think a lot of people that spend a lot of time on twitter facebook instagram sort of getting their information they feel like what's happening on the platform is um yeah you know a, an umbrella vision of the sentiment of the country but that's not necessarily true a lot of people will go ahead and say that social media is in a bubble about what's really going on in the country because that's not the pulse of the country the the pulse is in rural india and the things that happen uh during elections or elsewhere it's very different from the climate you would see on social media probably because the demographic of social media is so different from um just the rest of the general population so do you think that that's a thing do you think that social media is a bubble and we need to be a little bit more aware that uh, a lot of stuff exists outside that bubble uh two things right uh 
first is the fact that social media bubble is also something that you come to know on social media mm. so i think i could leave it at that but no i am glad you asked this uh, and i would love to play around with this because it's a very very important point that you have raised and one that generally merits consideration mm. okay uh let's take up something in the present day nothing in the distant past something which is happening right now uh this lack of basic medical resources in india right now yeah. say oxygen hospital beds ambulance etc let me assume there is a platform x in which just 5% of the indian population is present mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. what is happening is you will see a lot of distress calls and sos messages and all of it on this platform and by the way this has been happening currently across platforms whatsapp twitter facebook and all of it right yeah. so again not about a particular platform or individual but i'm just trying to draw up a picture so that users get where i'm coming from the point i'm trying to make over michelle is even if just 5% of india's population is on that platform and they're coordinating relief activities and supplies mm-hmm. a, a much much larger swath of the population is benefiting from it mm-hmm. okay so if there's someone who's able to marshal resources on the ground owing to the coordination that they are able to do on a twitter or a whatsapp or whatever in reality and in real life and i mean at the grassroots a much larger swath of the population is able to benefit from that right yeah so that's one thing so the point that i'm trying to make over here is yes of course not everyone is on social media and that that varies depending on whichever platform you be talking about but yeah. the point is whatever happens here the effects are felt beyond the shores thank you for that that way right right so I mean just because you're not on social media does not mean that it has absolutely no effect on maybe stuff that you may see or do or whatever so that's one thing and secondly i would say things can be a bubble in only one way which is a bubble of viewpoints okay honestly speaking yeah. because if you have people who do polling and this is like it's a very scientific process So it's not something that you know randomly conduct interviews and all of it. It's not something I am very well versed with, but I've read enough to know that it is a very scientific process in which uh, ideas like representative sampling and all of it come into play yeah. to make sure that whatever data you collect is representative of the population at large. Yeah. So again, the point here is not that say for example in the US for every Republican on Twitter there's another Democrat. No, I'm not saying that there's equality in terms of you know uh, the presence on the platform. but the point is even this very fact that okay hey what all of us are thinking of it may be different from what the reality is this is also that comes to you via say twitter itself or via yeah. facebook itself yeah. because that alternative voice does exist mm-hmm. and a lot of times what i've seen michelle and i mean this is uh, what i'm going to say next is something i deeply believe in and more importantly practice which is the kind of people whom you follow you choose to engage with on these platforms if you keep that list diverse enough yeah trust me you can see through most of the things that that are happening in real yeah. time right honestly for me to perfect i mean there's nothing no perfection in the sense for me to get to a twitter following list uh, i'm speaking about the accounts that i follow mm. has taken me years to get it right because mm. always it's like you know it's a mix of my interests it's a mix mm. of the ideologies i profess to it's a mix of where i may be living at that moment where i may be working and all of it but coming back to the point there's enough diversity of viewpoints everywhere right yeah. uh, and that's one reason people are often talking at each other and sometimes to each other and all of it from across the ideological spectrum the different beliefs and so on and so forth it depends on 
who are the people you choose to engage with who are the people you choose to follow and accordingly you'll see stuff show up on your timelines yes there may be more nuances to this than this right but broadly speaking it is not the case that you get only only a very specific set of viewpoints or ideas on any of these platforms not the case at all okay i'll actually go into this a little bit uh more i'm i'm glad you brought up that point because so i'm i'm just sort of like you know dumbing down the process of how i see a social media platform working right it's just that right right a lot of research suggests that social media spaces tend to be a lot more polarized the way social media has fine tuned our discussion space is that it's a lot more polarized and i i think that might have to do a little bit with the way content aggregation works in a general sense a platform will want you and any platform this is not specifically social media this is true for netflix youtube amazon whatever they want you to spend more right. time on that platform and less time elsewhere so they will bring you content that they know you like so in the most basic sense if i get online and i like a post about uh, of someone talking about being anti-vax just on the basis of that and the basis of the people they follow i'm going to be shown people from their list that may also suggest you know why anti thinking anti-vax is a good thing and i'm going to see my feed be populated with similar ideas and that's going to create an echo chamber and a lot of people want users to be aware of this very dangerous and high amount of confirmation bias that can exist and this is not again social media specific this is also um even if you're using like your browser um the kind of right. information they show you is just based off your history so if i search for something once it's going to want me to search those things again so i mean for me like you said you make sure you follow a lot of diverse set of people that is an activity that i undertook a few years ago where i was like okay i need to not follow only people that i agree with but also opinion leaders that are sort of not in my belief system and to justify that i had to put in my bio i was like you know accounts i follow are not my endorsement um i'm just right. trying to avoid an echo chamber because people are very quick to assume who you are based on who you follow but a lot of people want people to be aware of this and be better users of social media but do you think that this has made the democratic process a little bit more difficult that uh, unsuspecting people their biases are being confirmed based off the way the platform functions and do you think that there is a need for us to reconsider certain policies that allow platforms to work this way or is this just a a user consideration i was just uh, making notes because you have touched on a number of and all of them equally important issues i'll get to them one by one just give me one you're you're giving yes. me a lot of confirmation bias for being a good uh, interviewer <laughs> trust me that's not a bias that's that's a reality but okay <laughs> uh let me just filter it down to three very important points here you you have touched upon three core tenets of your mission one is this new information ecosystem which is engulfed us second is this whole idea of digital literacy mm-hmm. and the third is the role that algorithms play and i'll address yeah. each of these i'm glad you asked because these are you know topics issues subjects which i have been reading for like years now mm-hmm. and i'm this is something which got me into tech policy to begin with it's super fascinating how some of these things work tell me something do you feel that social media platforms have made people polarized or is it just that people were polarized anyways is this the, dis- the discoverability has gone up you don't need to answer right now okay mm-hmm. i'm just is this food for thought mm-hmm. and i'll come to this at the end of my answer 
the first thing is this michel any new technology that comes uh, you take railroads you take airplanes you take the telephone there have been many decades over which the rules for it have been laid out over mm. which the society has taken to normalize it and over which the society has uh, i mean for the lack of of a better word become educated or you know in how to use the technology mm. and just assimilate it in our societies so if you take any fundamental technological change which has come before this that has been the case and if you look at where we are today the internet is very young the internet yeah. is really really young by those standards right especially in india and even most of us so yeah and even most of us social media i mean the internet is young that's one thing social media platforms and this you know this idea of people using the internet for companionship and all of this mm. is even younger right mm. it's nascent in that sense so please just have this and i mean this is for the listeners that we are just engulfed by completely new dominant mechanisms of information ecosystems right now so there's a lot we don't know that we are still trying to figure out there's a there's trial and error and all of that is involved right just yeah. because it's a fundamentally new technology in that sense so that's one thing the second is i feel a lot of this is again for the lack of a better word a literacy problem in the sense not literally at all yeah just in the sense that like okay take what we were discussing just before this like for example you and i we follow a very and this is on purpose we yeah. purposefully follow very diverse viewpoints and handles on our social media profiles mm. and that's on purpose that's out of choice because we know the implications that has in yeah. terms of biasing us against or for a particular subject exposing us to different viewpoints informing us better and all of that where did this come from it essentially stands from the fact that you and i were exposed to some form of literacy in this sense that this following people you agree with is not good for you right and a lot of this comes from this idea that we have internalized that i need exposure to diverse viewpoints and i can find it on this platform if i do this if i follow x or y it's right yeah so this is i mean at its crudest form this is literacy right for our presence on these platforms right so the point i'm trying to make is that this whole idea of to put it at a very basic level this whole idea of internet literacy or digital media literacy or whatever you may choose to call it this needs a greater thrust yeah right because it ties up with the previous point that i made these are completely new information ecosystems which are engulfing us mm-hmm. so it'll take time before people get used to just getting all of the basics right in the sense of what's best for them mm-hmm. and of course this needs more efforts from all parts of our society from civil society in tech platforms and even in our educational curriculum to be yeah. honest yeah and the third and the most important thing mm. this whole idea of you clicking say for example today i uh like a post from president biden and tomorrow the algorithm might start recommending me stuff from the democratic party or whatever now there's one thing that we have to understand michel which is algorithms are critical for allowing us to make sense of the world that is online mm-hmm. take my word for it this yeah. whole idea of you know an, an an internet completely unmediated completely unfettered in that sense from any algorithmic algorithmic help i mean it's real for example on twitter we are, we have something known as a sparkle icon you click on that and the algorithms are out you just see posts in a chronological order and right. it's there on other platforms as well i think it's coming up so it's like if you choose you can do that to a limited extent but algorithms are 
in a lot of ways and in a lot of senses important for helping us make sense of the world that is online right mm-hmm. they organize content they streamline it they present it uh, to us in a manner in which we can consume and understand and process and the role that they play goes far beyond just giving if you like x then giving you more of x mm. no it goes far beyond that i'm just trying to you know cut through this very simplistic image that people have of course i'm not denying that that is the case that is the case and hey today if you buy a t-shirt from marks and spencers yeah and tomorrow from marks and spencers you will receive a newsletter saying that hey why don't you buy more of this yeah. again this is not about a particular brand right, or an right, individual right. i'm just trying to say this is how things are organized because there are commercial interests as well there's a lot of practical interests as well that people can actually make sense of the stuff that they're seeing and so on and so forth right mm-hmm. so it's a lot lot more nuanced than just being like as i mentioned that give if a person likes x give more of x to him or her no i hope that answers the question yeah yeah and i and and let's sort of move on to the whole you know digital literacy thing you mentioned the whole the general digital climate in india everything is moving online and through the pandemic the process has been accelerated ridiculously even before banking was i think a sector that was um, already quite integrated with the way um, the internet function entertainment tourism these were all you know segments that were sort of already making that climb but through the pandemic now right. education health fmcg in fact i feel like throughout the whole uh, process of recovering from covid everything from finding help to booking yourself into a hospital to ordering things that medicines and uh, getting yourself a test getting yourself a vaccine it's all been sort of just on your handheld device and throughout this process obviously things like the cyber security segment all of this has sort of taken a center stage what do you see for the future of digital india are we going too fast or was this a needed push basically i'm asking how close to men in black are we um <laughs> uh- I I'm I'm not sure if you read, if you read this or not Michelle mm-hmm. but this is extremely popular essay by Anderson Horowitz it's called why software is eating the world and uh, I think this uh, it was written way back in 2011 or 12 mm-hmm. or something like that and the whole premise of the essay was that software is I'll come to the explanation but broadly speaking software is eating up much of this physical value chain of industries yeah. uh that that we see as you know assets or key to operations today like in the sense okay let's take up the vaccines for example yeah uh, you know the newest kid on the block or the newest entrant in the types of vaccines we have is this mrna vaccines right yeah yeah i'll i'll keep it extremely abstract because again uh, no no expert in this so i'll just stick to the very basics of how this functions is i mean what i was reading recently is that the day uh, i think uh, this was pfizer or moderna either of these that they got the virus's genomic sequence within a couple of days i think they had the vaccines ready mm. uh, in this in its most fundamental form yeah and the idea is uh, i mean this was essentially if you look at it this was just coding in a sense right because right. mrna vaccines what they do is they just teach our cells how to make a protein or a piece right. of protein that triggers some immune response in our bodies right yeah. Yeah. basically uh, produce antibodies so this is far removed from the world in which we would actually inject 
uh, weakened viruses or mm-hmm. inactivated viruses into the human body right this is not that this is just like uh, reprogramming uh, yeah yeah this is programming in that sense right i mean yeah. they're just telling the body that hey produce this antibody in response right. to this virus and if this is not suffocating the world then what is i mean yeah. even for vaccines and it's phenomenal what's happening so coming back to your question see i i feel this is uh, fairly abstract this whole idea of future of digital india but i'll pick up on few key themes which concern me the most and which mm-hmm. fascinate me the most as well at the same time one is this whole idea of digital divide yeah because this is as fundamental as it gets because if you don't have access to the internet to begin with then well uh, everything else just falls flat on its face right now i think the most recent figures about 600 million indians yeah. are on the internet about 45% so that means the half total population is uh, on the internet penetration i think about 45% yes so that means half of india is not there yet on the internet but if you look at it over this just the last 5 or 6 or 7 years the uptake has been dramatic mm-hmm. i mean the chart if you look at it like the number of indians who have come online for the first time is phenomenal i think uh, i don't know i just don't remember the figures but it was like i think indians in the double digits were coming online for the first time in every second mm-hmm. for a couple of years or so so digital divide of course it exists yeah it's been bridged to a huge extent but yeah. we have an equally long way to go right. right that's one thing secondly this whole idea of um again i'll just give you an example and I, i was reflecting on my own privilege just a few days back so i subscribe to a lot of these international publications you know mm-hmm. uh, as you know more and more of good journalism is going behind paywalls and obviously it is yeah. it takes money to it, it takes a lot of resources content. to keep these organizations run yeah exactly so i figured out that some of the organizations that i i mean sorry the publications that i read and i subscribe to i think a couple of them allow subscriptions just via credit card not even debit card and mm. those who do a lot of them don't accept i mean they accept debit cards only of a certain type like yeah. uh, most of the rupee cards they're not accepted or whatever and then i read up on this and i think this one or 2% of indians have credit cards or thereabouts and i was like okay like there's so many types of divides and even if i manage to get on the internet and if i want to read stuff from you know i can trust Mm-hmm. and which i want to access but it's behind a paywall i can't even do that because then there's this other level of divide that's there right so that's one thing this whole idea of divides that people can't even have access to what's on the internet but there's yeah. an entire world michel which fascinates me the most which is i mean dude there's so many people out there who have not gone to college who have not been able to afford an education and today they are a uh, masters at say coding who have built an entire career out of skills they picked just online who have yeah. changed the fortunes of their family yeah. i think the name of this organization one of one of these organizations i think it's navgurukula something in which they just essentially rehabilitate girls from the most underprivileged of backgrounds across villages in india mm-hmm. and they put them in coding classes okay and then today these girls and they are working at some of the most prestigious and reputed IT firms in India as front end developers or whatever in Java and all of it and making a very decent living for themselves and giving their family lives which they couldn't have even imagined. There's so many experiments online in which people are like no need to go to college and spend lakhs and crores there. Yeah. Just pick up key skills and you'll be able to make a living and all of it. So 
I mean, the positive side of it is phenomenal. Of course. If you look at it, yeah. and I I feel this will benefit India more than the most because number one, it's an open society, so it's not like we have an uh, our version of China's Great Firewall in that sense. Mm. I mean, we have access to the same information, almost the same information, with someone in the US or Mexico or Japan might, right? Broadly yeah. speaking. So the tools are there at our disposal. Number two, the the cost of accessing data has crashed in India, right? Yeah. And it's I mean, anyone who wants to access the internet, again, there's not anyone, but still, broadly speaking, a far larger swath of Indians can access the internet today than they could have at any time in our history, right? Right. That's one thing, and then this will benefit us and our economy in other ways as well, right? This whole tide of digitization it will lead to maybe increase. outsourcing and india is the back office of the world as you know people call yeah. it for a lot yeah. of these industries and so on and so forth so that is there now the thing which worries me the most is this whole idea of one is this lack of you know a particular and a holistic say data uh, protection legislation in india although it's in the works mm-hmm. and i think this was the ks putuswami versus union of india case in 2017 which supreme court declared privacy as a fundamental right Right? right and uh, then there was this entire committee under justice uh, shri krishna to come up with this draft law and all of it uh, we still don't have it yet but again i won't get into the specifics of that wait and watch and uh, maybe for some other day but we need something like that mm-hmm. so that indians who are accessing internet for the first time and increasingly sharing their personal details and data and all of it there's that layer of there's this proper layer of enforcement of laws vis-a-vis privacy and safety online and all of that yeah very important and third and my final point here is which draws me back to my previous uh to my answer to the previous question which is this whole idea of literacy it's i think this should be a part of our educational curriculums yeah uh all of you know the younger generation of india which is in schools and maybe colleges and all of it and even in like the broader educational curriculum setup and the way we look at it this should be a part of the syllabus this yeah. should be something we teach this is something we should teach in classes this is something we should be taught purposefully this yeah. should not be an accidental by product of someone just uh, you know exploring stuff online and they come across that hey okay this is important or this should not be uh, discovered by people in hindsight after they have suffered Mm, say losses right. or damages because of the lack of this literacy more importantly yeah right yeah. so these are like the three or four broad strands of thought when i think of say something as abstract as a digital india that right. comes to my mind but yeah yeah sorry no, I, there's been a lot no, of no. Uh, i love yeah. absolutely how you go ahead and answer my question before i've even asked it um, so i will actually go ahead and pick on two <laughs> things because i like you mentioned like we can go for hours about this you know um it's a very very interesting and very relevant topic for all of us but um so you mentioned about penetration and how there's a large chunk of the population that's not online and of course as so many vital functions and so many daily things are sort of moving into the online sphere are you worried at all that there are a lot of people that are being left behind at such a quick pace that they might not be able to catch up and obviously this includes people that are in internet darkness but also people with disabilities who are not able to get onto certain platforms applications because they're not you know accessible right um right in in, in that case do you think india's sort of outlook on the digital india 
the big project to digitize India? Should it be more intensive where we sort of build on what we have? Because obviously that's important to sort of, you know, keep building on what we have. Or should we move our perspective to be more extensive and cover more ground before we, you know, develop what we already have? Okay, first off, Michelle, you know, this idea of Digital India being a project, I mean, of course, it's some government scheme, which is fine. But broadly speaking, I mean, in the sense that you mean it, it's not an organized, very, you know, structured, some national force or uh, how do you put it? It's it's not something which has been laid out somewhere. It's just, it's a very organic process, which we are getting on with bits and pieces as people are coming online, they're getting access to the internet for the first time, they're discovering its benefits and all of it. It's it's a very, very organic process at present, which has both deep inequities baked into it, but at the same time, a phenomenal scope for people to, you know, uh, just climb up the social ladder and build a better life. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll address both of these. Just to answer your question first, yes, of course, it is concerning that, I mean, I was reading this article recently in which this gentleman in Uttar Pradesh, I mean, a lot of people in general, they were like, uh, I didn't know that you could ask for oxygen on Twitter. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I would have and my mother would have been alive. And mm-hmm. that's, of course, that's very shocking. That, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is what people are going through. But after a point, it's not even shocking anymore because you're aware of the realities that, yeah, right. I mean, this divide does exist. So there's no getting back on that. Despite all the great work that's come out of social media platforms of late, all the yeah. phenomenal help that's come out of it. And I mean, of course, there are people who are not there who don't have, have access to it. Uh, it's a plain, simple fact. Yeah. So this whole idea of people being left behind, most certainly, it's a huge concern. And the thing with the internet is, I mean, it's almost like a virtuous cycle. You're there, yeah. you gain access to a particular set of knowledge or resources, then you gain a leg up, and then you build on, the, on that and you gain a further leg up and all of it. I mean, it tends to accentuate in that sense, yeah. right? Um, so someone who's not there, they will, I mean, the divide will only get starker. So I believe our focus, and again, this is not a, any specific policy prescription, but the idea is the focus should most certainly be on bridging this divide. It can be via, say, having public Wi-Fi hotspots everywhere in India, or it can be maybe access to subsidized hardware. These are the 10 things that the government can do. But the idea is the focus should just be on bridging this divide instead of demonizing those who are already online and have access to these tools and being like, hey, you have access to these, these people don't, this is not correct. And that's yeah. not the point. The point is everyone should have access to this. Yeah. Right. That's where we are looking to get at. So this is what I believe our energies should go into. Uh, yeah. Well, well, well put. I, I, I definitely agree. And lastly, you mentioned about teaching digital literacy in schools and the sort of new education policy sort of tried to bring coding into classrooms. And while that is one yeah. thing, do you think that there are other significant ways to scale or reskill our population, you know, which is a major upcoming talent pool for uh, and India always has been, especially in the te- tech industry. But yeah. so as to not be left behind in this, when the pandemic recovery starts to take up, is there a skilling gap that exists that we need to look at filling, you know, from an administrative governance point of view? Right. Yeah. What you just mentioned, Michelle, mm. it has two completely different questions embedded in it. I'll tell you why. So the first is this idea of 
digital literacy or awareness media literacy mm. Mm. which is about you know being aware and equipped with this you know this whole mindset how of how to be responsible online yeah yeah that's yeah. one thing i think your question focuses more on this whole idea of upskilling right yeah. for this emergent economy yeah. and that's why i think you mentioned very rightfully you mentioned this whole idea of uh, coding that the new uh, education policy also proposes there's absolutely no doubt about this fact that uh, i mean in fact i think you would have, you know also come across uh, write ups and articles in which there are a lot of industries in which, in which people are looking to hire but they don't have enough people with the right skill sets hmm. right and uh, then companies either have to invest completely in upskilling employees but sometimes they are not really willing to because they're like what if he or she leaves tomorrow for a competitor or whatever i mean then wants to this yeah. but broadly yeah. speaking it's, it's an expensive process in that sense for certain functions and roles so this is one thing Secondly we have this whole program of you know the National Skill Development Corporation I think that's the name and this another program the Pradhan Mantri Kaushal Vikas Yojana again mm-hmm. Kaushal Vikas Yojana uh, yep I think yeah okay right so we have these programs in place they are these industrial training institutes which exist I wouldn't say that anything good has come out of it some of it has of course especially at the lower levels mm-hmm. right in which i mean when i use the word low level i do not mean to say that these jobs are low, less important not at all mm-hmm. i'm just saying that lower in the digital hierarchy right yeah. more uh, physical occupations in that space but you know the problem as i see it with this setup michelle is that no bureaucrat no is officer ever can fully understand what skills are needed what skills will be needed 5 years from now so that we can start training today to what extent we need someone with a particular skill and where we need it in what industry it's mm-hmm. beyond anyone's comprehension to figure this out so this whole idea of that you know you set up a scheme and a government of india program and a, maybe a department within a ministry and this will get done doesn't happen what instead we could do is you know again this is a very uh, let's just say underdeveloped policy prescription but is this along the lines of thought that i have for this which is maybe we could offer people the opportunity to pick and choose mm. where they would want to get skilled what skills they would like to pick up which industries they want to you know get into and support them by means of say vouchers or you know just provide them that subsistence support that while they are learning while they are getting educated while they are picking up those skills uh, the basics are maybe taken care of and more importantly this is just one small part of it more importantly maybe make available those resources for skilling to them that can be in the form of educators videos other learning resources and material etc right the idea is people make those organic choices depending on whatever is needed it's almost like a supply demand equation at this point right yeah. people know what works best for them no single ministry can decide what's better for everyone than that person deciding that individually what's in her or his best interest that's a point i'm trying to make here maybe we can support them equip them but that's about it they can go about their ch- making their choices and that'll be a far better more useful more efficient way of going about this whole idea Yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think letting people know the best way to make use of this internet boom so that it helps them you know in not just their careers but the way they access the world i think is the prime importance here and i think that's a great note on which we can bring our our uh, uh, discussion to end thank you thank you so much yash for um, you know giving yeah. me your precious time and for enlightening us on this very interesting very relevant topic our listeners um we can go ahead and uh, share some links to some of the readings that you've suggested it'll probably be on our website or right. in the description of our episode i think we'll figure out a way to let our 
listeners know. Otherwise, you guys can follow Yash on Twitter on his unverified account at what, what is it? Yash Agarwal M. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Yash Agarwal M. At the uh, yeah. yeah. At Yash Agarwal M on Twitter, and also you know he's got Policygram over on Instagram, so you can check that out as well. Thank you so much, Yash, for being here today and for talking to us. I, I definitely learned so much in our discussion. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, please take care and stay safe. Yes, Speak soon. Yes, you too. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Policy Room, produced by the Social and Political Research Foundation. SPRF is a youth-oriented public policy think tank based in New Delhi, working to spark dialogues for a better democracy. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.